Sup, you beautiful bastards. Welcome back to the Philip DeFranco Show. Buckle up, hit that like button, otherwise we'll punch you in the throat, and let's just jump into it. Starting with, suck my tongue. Those are words that I think would trigger my fight or flight response. But hey, the good news is, that's not a phrase you'd say to a stranger, right? Also, definitely not a thing you'd ever say to a child, correct? Well, apparently with this news today, no, that is a thing you would say, and the who at the center of it is the Tibetan Buddhist spiritual leader, His Holiness, the Dalai Lama. Yeah, with an 87-year-old meeting with some 120 students at his temple and a video of the interaction with this one boy in particular went viral on social media. It starts with the boy asking for a hug, but then the Dalai Lama points to his own cheek and says, first here, so the boy kisses his cheek. Then the Dalai Lama points to his lips and says, I think here also, and sure enough, smooches him on the lips, leading to this moment after the laughter has settled when the Dalai Lama sticks out his tongue and says, it's a my tongue. <laughs> now, fortunately for my eyeballs, your eyeballs, also the child in this video, I can report that no tongue sucking took place. But the request alone, not to mention the case, I got the whole internet riled up with allegations of pedophilia flying left and right. But you had some actually defending him, saying that sticking your tongue out can be a form of greeting in Tibet. But following all of this, he had the Dalai Lama's Twitter account essentially tweeting out what would look like a, a notes app apology. With the Dalai Lama's office saying he wanted to apologize to the child and his family for the hurt his words may have caused. But also adding, his holiness often teases people he meets in an innocent and playful way, even in public and before cameras. He regrets the incident. And my reaction to this is no, no. You have some trying to dismiss this, pointing to, to cultural differences Right, linking to things like the Tibetan greeting. Sticking out one's tongue is a sign of respect or agreement and was often used as a greeting in traditional Tibetan culture. And according to Tibetan folklore, a cruel 9th century Tibetan king had a black tongue, so people stick out their tongues to show that they are not like him and aren't his reincarnation. But that doesn't explain the suck it thing. Now, he got close, that's fucking weird. Looking at this video, I don't care who the person in it is, I wouldn't let that person near a school or my child. And if anything, I'm kind of just surprised that it's taken this long to blow up because this didn't just happen. This happened at an event earlier this year and it's only now getting all this traction. In entertainment news, there's some big business drama in the creator space right now. With podcaster Ethan Klein of the H3 Podcast now reportedly suing Broadband TV, better known as BBTV. Right, so BBTV describes itself as a creator and content management company or as Ethan described it, a multi-channel network. With Ethan explaining, even though he's always been skeptical about trusting multi-channel networks, he said he actually Actually had to use one to get paid from YouTube. And Ethan explaining this is because you're only allowed to have one AdSense account at a time, and Ethan made his while living in Israel, but he wasn't allowed to change his country, saying that made it impossible for him to get money directly from YouTube. So he decides to work with BBTV, so YouTube pays them first, and then they give the money to him. And this seeming to him as a win-win, because under his deal, 100% of Google and YouTube revenue was supposed to go directly to Ethan. And the only time that BBTV was supposed to get paid was when they set up a sponsorship read with an outside brand. But on a recent video, Ethan explained that he compared his pay stub to his YouTube analytics and realized, hey, my pay doesn't reflect that deal. I noticed it was like significantly off. And as far as we could tell, they had skimmed $620,000 at least, right? That's just from what we can tell from specifically the membership money. And Klein adding that what in particular pissed him off was the membership revenue. These is people coming to us to show us their direct support. Like that was the whole point of this program. The timing and specific language are also key things to take away from this. Right, for some background, Ethan explained that he had been working with BBTV since 2017, which notably was before memberships even existed. But even with that, because it's still revenue from YouTube, Ethan argued that it should fall into the same bucket as ads and he should still be getting 100% of that. But apparently when speaking to BBTV, they pointed out an other clause in his contract. Now these guys had the fucking audacity to come to me and say, well, if you look at this section, your revenue, and you look here, it says 70% of other net revenues.
And they're like, well, memberships is other net revenue. With them apparently claiming that they were in the right to keep the $620,000. But now you have Ethan saying, let's let the courts decide because he's suing BBTV and pointing out that in the contract, they define Google net revenue as including Google subscriptions. And Ethan arguing that the definition of Google subscription should clearly include memberships. Ethan saying he noticed this three days ago and sent an email to BBTV and claiming in that email that some of the discrepancies go all the way back to December of 2020, then saying it took three days for them to respond and set up a call. And Ethan actually recorded that call and tweeted today that he plans on publishing it so he can quote, fully expose them as the thieves, bullies, and liars that they are. But he also explained that during that call, BBTV just maintains that they were in the right to take 30% of the membership revenue and they would not be giving it back. Which is why now Ethan's membership program is paused while he works with YouTube to get rid of his old AdSense account and make a new one, which apparently can be a lengthy process. But that's also not where this ends because Ethan then went on Twitter to say he heard that BBTV has skimmed other creators of their membership money. With him then posting an update video discussing some of those new allegations and also pointing to a creator by the name of Kavos who tweeted back in March that BBTV was delaying its payment schedule by several weeks. My fear is that they don't have the money and that these guys are on the verge of declaring bankruptcy. And saying he has the options for terminating his deal with BBTV and is even willing to pay a $10,000 penalty fee just to get out of it. But also in order to unlink his channel from BBTV, they actually have to approve it first. With Ethan saying that his fears are much bigger than him and his company, rather he's concerned that if BBTV goes bankrupt, it could cost tons of creators lots of money. And with all this, of course, we've seen tons of people chiming in, a lot of creators, but specifically, it was interesting to see creators that actually work with BBTV also speaking out, people like Moist Critical. With him saying he's never had any issues himself, but- It doesn't seem like there's any basis for for them to be taking that 30%. Should that make it to court, I don't see any world where BBTV can somehow make an argument that it falls under other revenue when it very plainly and clearly states that it is part of normal YouTube net revenue. That's ultimately where we are with this. We're gonna have to wait to see what happens, but hopefully Ethan and any other creator affected by this are made whole, because this is fucking insane. Because based off of what we've seen so far, it seems like the situation is plain as day. And then the Super Mario Bros. movie absolutely destroyed box office expectations this weekend, breaking in $204 million domestically in three $377 million globally, being the biggest opening weekend for any animated film ever. Taking that crown away from Frozen, it even beat out Marvel's Ant-Man. And honestly, in no way am I surprised. And I understood there were concerns like, oh, are the bad reviews that were initially coming out? Is that gonna hurt the box office? But almost immediately we saw the difference between the, the critics review and the audience reviews. With right now, critics having it at a 56%, the audience has it at 96%. And here's the thing, I, I can see a world where you go into this movie and you don't like it. You know what people find entertaining, funny, stuff like that, that's a personal Thing. Like if you go into this movie wanting a Pixar movie with a lot of deep stuff that makes you feel, you, you come, might come out disappointed. That said, it still made my overly sensitive ass cry in a movie theater, which by the way, my wife filmed me. She thought it was endearing. I watched it back and I was like, I might, I might want to end it all right now. I never want to show a vulnerable emotion ever again in my life. But if you go into the movie just wanting to enjoy it, understanding it's a kid's movie, it's great. My kids say it's their favorite movie of all time, which granted they say about every movie they just watched, but it's fun and it definitely left me wanting more, whether it be a Luigi's Mansion uh, movie, uh, whether it be a Donkey Kong Country movie. And when I see the top line for negative reviews reading, the whole package is a deranged mishmash of overstimulating elements. 1.5 out of 5. And it's fan service above all else. Yeah, and it's pretty fucking fantastic. Jack Black puts the movie on his shoulders. It was simple, it was fun, and that's all it kind of needed to be. And then, privacy isn't just a right, it's your first line of defense. So, thanks to the fantastic sponsor of today's show, NordVPN, or more directly, NordVPN.com slash you can easily 
help protect yourself from crappy people out there using your data for phishing attacks, getting passwords, or committing identity theft. You know, there are so many reasons to be protected by NordVPN. One for sure with us is the number of foreign websites we have to access to research to bring you the news. For using the NordVPN proxy extension makes it a no-brainer when browsing those sites. Or because the proxy extension is a lightweight VPN that helps protect your privacy, bypass censorship, and keep you safe while browsing the internet or even playing browser games. It's also not only foreign news websites, lots of e-shops abroad offer products that you can't get here. And with a proxy extension, it's automatically there when my wife or I are shopping. It loads faster and it takes less resources when logging into an app. And NordVPN doesn't collect activity logs. Your business is your business. So protect your privacy right now and go to nordvpn.com slash phil to get a huge discount on a two-year plan plus an additional four months free. That's nordvpn.com slash phil. It's all risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. And then in political news, we've got to talk about this Rebecca Jones, Ron DeSantis situation because it is a mess and looking way more complicated than it initially appeared. Right, so Rebecca Jones was fired from the Florida Department of Health back in May of 2020, with the official reason being labeled as, quote, a repeated course of insubordination, but according to her, she was fired for refusing to falsify Florida COVID-19 data. And since then, she's been feuding with DeSantis, including lawsuits, raids, public comments from DeSantis, questioning her qualifications, name-calling, and ultimately, more lawsuits. With all of that, bring us to the more recent events. Jones's 13-year-old son was arrested last week on charges of making electronic threats of a school shooting or terrorist act. With it being reported at that time that the messages were from Snapchat and included several memes making jokes about grabbing a school security officer's gun or shooting up a building full of people. Now, Jones claims that the memes were non-threatening and the arrest was a retaliatory action against her for filing another lawsuit, right, with her seeking to get her job back as well as missed wages and damages, and her sharing on Twitter that her son was taken on the governor's orders, and that's garnered over 20 million views so far, along with a reported $7,000 being donated to her whistleblower GoFundMe. Jones also saying specifically the timeline of the situation is suspect, saying the police didn't arrest her son until after she filed her lawsuit. However, according to Motherboard, the police only became aware of the messages on March 20th and immediately began questioning Jones's son. Jones also claimed on Twitter that an anonymous user infiltrated the chat and reported her son to the police. But Motherboard says that the police report doesn't mention any anonymous informant, but rather at least four students around her son's age, all of whom were reportedly concerned about these messages, took them to a teacher, and then were reportedly interviewed by police on March 21st, several days before Jones's son was arrested. Also, beyond just the memes, there were reportedly concerning messages specifically mentioning a school that the 13-year-old had previously attended, including, quote, if I get a gun, I'm going to shoot up HNMS, which apparently refers to his former middle school, as well as other threatening messages like, I want to shoot up the school, and I have no hope in getting better, so why not kill the losers at school? Now, Jones's big claim here is that those messages were not actually sent by her son, citing the Miami Herald, which says that the messages were sent by a different username than the one her son used to send the memes. But Motherboard also reviewed the unredacted report that the Miami Herald cites and said that there seems to be a misunderstanding, saying that what we're seeing is the difference between a display name and the actual username. Right? Someone can change their display name whenever they'd like, but the username for the account stays constant. And the police report reportedly only mentions one account, and the sheriff's office backed that up in a statement. However, Jones remains adamant that her son did not send the message, saying to Motherboard that the police report covered up that there were actually two accounts, saying that she read through her son's account and didn't find the messages in question. However, one of Snapchat's biggest features is disappearing messages, so that's not necessarily the, the slam dunk exoneration that she was looking for. And also, throughout this whole debacle, Jones has been accusing Elon Musk of aiding in the spread of conspiracy theories, as well as sharing threatening DMs she has received and calling out Twitter's terms of service for doing nothing. But ultimately, as far as what happens now, you have Jones's son back at home with an ankle monitor set to be arraigned on May 3rd, and I'll obviously be keeping my eyes and ears open to keep you in the loop. And then, the U.S. has a problem because there was just a massive leak, where this time a trove of intelligence documents, some of them marked top secret, being leaked online and making the rounds. And like any good spy story, there's a little bit of a mystery to it. But here's what we can say, right? The documents seem to reveal a lot, such as the fact that we seem to know a ton about the Russian military in its current state, as well as details about Ukraine's and maps of where possible air defense systems could go. Also, not only do we spy on them, but other allies as well. Though, I will say on that part in particular, it's an open secret that everyone spies on everyone. Right? What I've learned covering this topic is that uh, international diplomacy is like a bad marriage. Like, everyone knows bad stuff's happening in secret, but people are like, I just don't want to 
know about it. But also I'm gonna do everything I can to know about it. But when it's revealed what's actually happening, people still get pissed off, understandably. Also, some of the other possible examples of this spy include checking on how interested South Korea was to help Ukraine monetarily or with supplies, or looking at a potential Turkish plot to get arms to Wagner, the infamous Russian private military company, as well as just the fact that our government has the capabilities to access and spy on most forms of communication around the world. But also, with this, you may have noticed I've, I've added some distancing language to all this. And that is because it's actually hard to tell which of these leaks are legit or not, which is possibly part of the reason that the story is just being picked up by outlets, despite the fact that the leaks have actually been around for weeks on Discord, Telegram, and other social media outlets, with the U.S. government confirming that some of the images of the documents floating around are real, but they also haven't specified which ones, right? Because it's also believed that many of the images are doctored and skewed to help Russia by either overplaying their capabilities or driving a wedge between the U.S. and its allies. We're also right now not sure how the leaks even happened. The documents look like they came from someone who has access to Joint Chiefs of Staff information, which is very, very high up in the military. But it's also possible that someone on the staff was just negligent with the documents, especially since the leaks are based on photos of the documents that seem to have been left out. And for now, it seems like we're gonna have to wait weeks or months for more official information. Department of Justice now opening an investigation into this matter. And then, people in the U.S. were moving around a lot during the pandemic. What we now know is, in general, Idaho, Montana, and Florida had the largest population increases, with New York and Illinois seeing the biggest declines. What's especially interesting is that the state with the third biggest decline, it was Louisiana. Also, I will say that stat should be taken with a grain of salt because it's based on a percentage of the population rather than raw numbers. We also know that the migrations weren't uniform. For example, places like San Francisco County saw upwards of 7% of the population move during this time, while Kern County, where Bakersfield is, had relatively large growth. And in states like Texas, there was a clear geographic shift, with central and northern Texas getting way more people at the cost of western Texas generally seeing major declines, with the exception of the county next to El Paso, which had a huge population explosion. And while there are obviously a number of factors leading to these huge shifts, with two of the major reasons that are also connected to a number of the smaller reasons being things like the cost of living where you are, and the freedom that work from home brought to a lot of people. Like for me, I can do my job anywhere, and if I wasn't inclined to live in California, I could move somewhere where I could just do literally the same thing and make so much more money because the taxes would be lower. But then I'd have to experience all four seasons and God knows I have one cloudy rainy day and I'm sad for two weeks. Which is also why all the unexpected rain in California, great for the drought measures, which infinitely is more important, negative for my mental health. And that's where we're gonna end things for now. But remember, my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces and I'll see you tomorrow.